0: If you organize an event about architecture, about design, it's not just about the design you're showing or the design you're making. It's about the entire process of approaching people and bringing them together.
1: You're listening to Fondue FM, an anthology of voices from in and out of design. In this episode, I'm talking to Eduardo. He's a Portuguese architect and the founder of a Berlin-based design practice called VESC. Ed has a background working in scenography and installation design, as well as with the experimental concepts of design for disassembly, activation through use, and urban recapture with the renowned German design collective Raum Labor. I ask Ed about his journey to Berlin, his experience with interdisciplinary and collective work structures, the aesthetics of upcycled and temporary architecture, and the idea of cultural production. So buckle up and I hope you enjoy. Eduardo da conte Yeah, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome.
0: Um, Really cool of you to take the time. Um, You have your own practice. Yes, we're starting it. serial and under construction. I think we chose maybe the worst time to really uh, make it official with Corona, mid-Corona time, so. Exactly, and when I saw that you started in Corona, I
1: sort of thought, hmm, I wonder if that was kind of the catalyst. You had just a, a shift in your uh, time schedule or in your priority list and you're like, now's the moment.
0: I think a lot of things came together. I think Corona was canceling a lot of our temporary projects and all pushing them forward uh, to another timetable, leaving a lot of empty blank spaces time-wise. Uh, that comes together with family, comes together with being older, comes together with the wish of maybe jumping into other fields of architecture as well. And all, I think all of that coming together and speaking about this idea of doing the Vesque studios in so many years, but never really formalizing it, it just came all together at the same time. But we're still on the process, so it's being slower than we ever expected. Our, our background uh, gives us uh, a client wallet that is very uh, attached to set design for theater and dance and more in the artistic fields with exhibition design and temporary architecture. So, on that field, we kind of still felt a bit safe to continue. And we want to continue because we both have a, uh, an artistic background. Our schools were highly related to the art fields. One of the schools we studied in, both of us by a chance, uh, wanted to be a Portuguese Bauhaus. So you would go first year, you had painting, sculpture, ceramics, geometry, uh, graphic design, um, photography, uh, printmaking. And then on the second year, you would start already to focus in architecture. And I think that gives us a lot of a different vision uh, throughout different materials and art fields and and uh, ways of engaging with things. But trying to go back to your question again, we're we're trying to work now in in more also in the architecture. I don't know how to put it, the classic architecture fields and that. Why is, is that? I'm curious. I don't want to lose my yeah.
1: general chronology regarding your studies and how you got to start this practice because mm-hmm. I think that's an arc that I'm really interested in. But I am curious now that you mention that you know, if you have like a client wallet, which is a cool term, by the way, I like that. If you have a client wallet in um, a certain kind of work, then why not just lean into that heavily? Are you mm-hmm. from a purely practical standpoint? Would it not be easier just to become specialist scenographers, uh, set
0: designers? Uh, I think that your question is very is very smart. Um, why shouldn't we keep doing what we already know how to do? I think two of the main items for that why we have decided to move on one is. Um, because we don't want to do just that. We don't want to specialize ourselves in something. And I think the plurality makes an office much better. If you have three good formal designers in an office, it's great. But you have, if we have one very good at detail design, one very good formalist and one that can deal with materials, then you're going to have a much stronger office than, than that. And the other main reason was that we felt it was no longer enough. What we were doing in the sense it was not deep enough to change architecture to, with global changes, global warming, all of that, we felt, okay, we learned so much in this temporary artistic fields where we could play and test materials, but we're not really doing it. We're doing it from an artistic perspective and not from a material perspective. So we wanted to go deeper in those questions. We want to do more material research, try to really bring the knowledge we got into the classical world. And there's a lot of good offices, mostly young offices doing that, And I think we want to join those offices to be one of those who really uh, tries to work sustainable, who thinks about concepts of DFD design for disassembly to to provide better solutions for the future. But are any of those offices, uh, in your view, like
1: commercially competitive, managing to basically spin this methodology into something that I
0: I I probably. Most of them are not yet. I think it's really a learning phase. And I think there's maybe a few who already managed to reach that. There's also very commercial offices. Uh, There's a good example here in Berlin uh, that manages, uh, they always win sustainability awards and all of that. Um, But you look at their designs and you see they're not as elegant as they could be. The first time I attempted to design, uh uh, building under dfd concepts it was really hard and i think i still failed at it to design something that you could really reuse 100 Mm. percent i think we're far away from that in it i think only by trial error we're going to reach that it takes a huge amount of intelligence though right design intelligence to take
1: something that not only can be built beautifully some architects don't even think about how something gets built right it's just about the lines and the material and the and then Finalizing. the craft person or the builder kind of refines that. But not only think about how it can stand and function and be, you know, uh, materially beautiful, but also how it can then flat pack or then disassemble. I think that's kind of the next level. Maybe you're introduced to those concepts through your education, but it should be a field that then specializes insofar as it's not just like, style of architecture it's like it's a next level sort of ability right
0: yeah yeah I, I I believe so and I think you mentioned something really important is that some architects just think about form or and we leave the craftsmen on the side and I think that's the difference we come from dealing a lot with craftsmen on site and having to deal with them in a way that we put them building things they usually wouldn't or we do it ourselves that means most of the people I work with all of them can build they can pick up a screwdriver they know how to use a saw and I think that's the biggest difference to the more, let's say, classical line of architecture design. But I really agree with you that it, it should be taught in universities. It should be not a style of architecture, but a whole thinking process about how to design f- future buildings in a much more efficient and better way that you can reuse all the materials. Material resources are just... Uh, incredibly scarce at the moment, and I think this—the crisis we're, we're living with, uh, conflict in Ukraine, and um, lack of wood around Europe, oh, and and steel now—I think all of this makes us as architects that are not working within the traditional fields even gives us a little better push to try to find alternative solutions and deal with this in a different way. While the classic architects, well, I think will really struggle with this in the future. If they can't use drywall anymore, if they can't use steel, or uh, the availability of, of certain materials is not that present, I think they will struggle a lot more than we do because we already have this push. But the beautiful thing I I, I realize throughout, every time I, I give a talk in a school or an architecture university, I see that from 15 years ago, the young generations, they're much more into it than we ever were already during the studies, and I think, the generations coming after my generation will be better prepared much more capable hmm. uh, of executing these this these final dreams of designing this perf- well not perfect architecture but in this direction
1: i'm curious your description on your website for vesc is and i'm paraphrasing um combining blur the lines between art architecture design sonography and installation how would you describe this kind of approach is it i mean is there a label because we sort of talk about and i think you mentioned like traditional forms of architecture right but then there's this other more informal more temporary yeah. but it ends up being described through these these adjectives or whatever the, the question is like what is this is is it there should be a word right there should be a, a, a catchy word yeah to I- describe non-linear forms of design like non-linear design and then people say oh what's that (laughs) anti-architecture I don't know interdisciplinary Uh, Interdisciplinary. but again that's become so vague isn't it
0: yeah I think it's hard to I think we also lately we reduced it to um, architecture design and sonography and then we added cultural production um, because if you organize an event about architecture about design it's not just about the design you're showing or the design you're making It's about the entire process of approaching people and bringing them together. But trying to reply to your question, I I honestly don't have a word that puts all of that together. Maybe somebody will coin it at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe, I don't know, in France, we speak about the new realism or something like that with concrete and formalistic approaches, but I have no good answer to you. It's sort of, it's, it's like a sort of grassroots,
1: um sustainably minded architectural
0: me me, i think you can put it that and then it goes and drinks instead of repeating what it already knows it tries to do new approaches and be more experimental i think that's that's a, a that's the valuable part of it is that we can design a house and the textures of the rooms. We don't have to go classic. We don't have to go, okay, the client knows this or we know this. Why, why can't we experiment? Why can't we do it differently? And I think one of, the, one of the beautiful things that I've experienced has in, in this last 10 years have been whenever we work with, um, with with craftspeople, most of the time we get the classic craftsmen that just like, why are you doing it like this? Hmm. And you have to kind of explain them why and you guys go, oh, it's easier like that. But then you have to kind of insist, and it's beautiful to see when when they understand why, and and because usually you have twenty percent of them who goes, oh yeah, I want to do that, or I want to do it differently. And most of the time, people want to just do it the way they already know it works. They want to do it the way they've always done it. And mm. I think that's where we stand. We stand on the side of experimenting, trying out, and then we learn from each learning we take to the next project. And I think that's. Um, also part of the reason we try to jump from the temporary architecture field into the more uh, commercial side, but trying to bring those knowledges into it, and we're trying to do it now as well in, in, in two projects, and it's being a a key, a key a keyless task. Now, how do you say uh, an enormous task? Yeah, to be able to bring it together. I was thinking pain in the ass, but pain enormous ass task. That's much better. So sounds good. too.
1: sounds correct as well. But. Um, to be fair, I guess most architectural movements end up getting their name retrospectively, right? Once there's a little bit of oversight, so, yeah. not necessarily in a school like the Bauhaus mm-hmm. or, you know, something. that. But I think it would be really interesting to develop, um, if it's not being done already, some kind of um, simple description that speaks to non-designers and non-architects and ideally developers, clients, that sort of um, embodies all of what we're talking about. When you talk about, in particular, um, you know, socially conscious circular design that incorporates, you know, uh, novel means of construction and all the rest of it, and a lot of foresight for the sustainable footprint or social <clears throat> yes. sustainability of something.
0: No, I, th- I think that's a big. Part. Sorry, yeah. I'm interrupting you, but uh, I think you you bring out within your uh, your remark something that I find very interesting is, if you look at. Offices who are already more successful in this within this field, they kind of focus on one thing. That's what I realized. Like you have offices that work really well with uh, rammed earth or bamboo, and it's clear because it, it, it's easier if you specialize yourself in this direction. But I think when it comes to doing um, uh, circular economy and this kind of architecture that uh, thinks the future, I believe that uh, it's 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 not just about one or two materials and nowadays offices tend to work uh, all around europe or all around the planet david Chipperfield has th- four offices one in right. japan one in london one in berlin one yeah. in milan it's like yeah how do you deal with all of that i mean you're not just designing on a local level you think each office despite being under one same name is different it has to be different because it, it relates to different realities the italian reality the way you design in, in in italy is very different how do you do it here in berlin or in but london? you come to a brand for some form of reassuring
1: um, quality control or design ambition or something right or proven yeah. track record of being able to build something the way that you design it whatever it is if so if you have an office in tons of different places like the only reason those offices are powerful as a under the same name is
0: that they can still represent the same values right i, I think in a in a in this old idea of of the author architecture mm. uh, like I think the vichyperfield is the name that connects connects the four offices but he's not designing he right. goes to each office uh, and gives a lot of lectures gives a lot of talks and i think that's what kind of also binds it together because surely an italian architect is very different from the german architect who's designing here in berlin i mean the way we will i'm going to fall into the cliche the rationality of the german architect versus the the let's say romanticism romanticism approach of an italian architect that I think those are very different things. So I think what he tries to do is try and put them together somehow and take the best out of it. There's an odd uh, intuition for
1: like purity, right? Mm -hmm. And you notice it in all sorts of unfortunate places like um, on Instagram. A very clean, coherent feed has just an aesthetic appeal that's, you know, undeniable. Even though the photos are compromised because they're basically applying the exact same framework Two different places at different times, all across the world, which is really un, um, well, really sort of um, devaluing, like what each photo has to offer, right? Just by binding binding them to the yeah. same thing. But I also remember, like as a kid, going to a gallery and seeing like a sketch that was by Picasso or by Edward Hopper, and it had nothing to do with the style I associated with them, mm-hmm. and I couldn't therefore connect the value because they were too different. And I guess it takes a little bit of further thought to sort of process the narrative
0: of, of how they got from one to the other and then you appreciate it? I think that's a great observation you and I think the, the correlation to Instagram it makes a perfect sense. If you look at uh several accounts that are very followed, you'll see a certain pattern like you put like if if it's a photographer, you can see there's a each picture picture that is there is kind of it's more of the same, even if they're good and have a lot of quality in what they do. But there's a, a clear Aesthetic that is easier to, or something that is easier to absorb. And, and, uh, I, I believe that it, it is harder to, to follow the narratives if the, each narrative of each project is completely off. I mean, we have, a we did a competition that we never won and Bruno worked mostly on it. And he's a, he has this, he's a painter as well. He's not just an architect, he's a painter, he's an artist. So he decided to paint an acrylic instead of Photoshopping or making a 3d, he did plaster models. And then he made a composition on top of the table, like a, a steel life. And then he painted it with acrylic. Oh, jeez! Like he did, nice. it, it's, it was an entire process he did. Yeah. And of course, that has a very different aesthetic than uh, a competition I did, which is basically uh, black and white lines to represent the things. And I think those are so off of each other sometimes. One is completely colorful and it's acrylic and painted with a brush. The other one is actually a digital vector design. Mm illustration so it's and it's so funny to to see how that makes it so much harder for people to follow a certain static or to follow or to grasp it faster yeah but i think in the future when there's a retrospective or, or if you look at himmelblau Kup, it's i think it's a good example their works are so a part of each other sometimes mm. although they all fit to the same um to the same group um but physically to the same group of people yeah physically to the to same group of people well, but when you look each image of each project is so different from each other but then you you stop to look at it and really appreciate the value that it's not just a copy or a copy it really it really each project it's its own project and it's beautiful because of that and they might be sharing solutions with the following projects but they're applied in such a way you don't see it you don't see oh it's the same detailed design they did to salute to do the solution to the same to different problems yeah. but it's just there and it's well thought through and it's unique piece um, and i think but there's a lot of offices that manage that but i think it's maybe they had they need to have 30 years of work done to for that to be very clear sometimes mm. you
1: would I'm have like, thought like versatility adaptiveness are things that become more and more valued right in a world where uh, to sort of you know, mm-hmm. uh, quote a cliche, things are changing dramatically on every level. But um, I still can't get beyond the fact that, you know, if an artist, like a music, a musical artist, produces an album, everybody loves it. Then they go completely off piste on the next one because they're exploring their musical range. And then the um, record label like, no, 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 yeah. please, no more of that. Let's go back to the stuff we know people love. And then, you know, a, a, lot, of, a lot of artists, architects, whatever, probably succumb to that pressure. But the question is, if you, like you're saying you do with your um, co-founder, Bruno at Vesk Studio, um, you know, if you're constantly letting the project dictate, then in theory, you can develop, okay, a versatility and a potential incoherence between, you know, the style of of one or the other, um, once they're put on the same summarizing project page online or whatever, but presumably that is where you actually develop new ideas, right? Because you're letting the project dictate. So, you know, if you do develop like a real strength for drawing a certain way, the question is would that, like basically lock you in, in a way that, you know, doesn't allow you to venture off as much.
0: I I, I believe that this this letting each project dictate uh, the shape of itself, I think it is a more valuable, at least under my perspective, or our perspective in the studio, a more valuable outcome. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about, about Corbusier and how he ended up in, in, in his life. I mean, we, everybody recognizes his uh, his houses, the style he developed of his five points of our designing architecture, and how he actually in the end of his life or closer to the end of his life, he started changing and you have the 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 church of Rochamps It's completely this brutalistic object that is just beautiful. And it's completely different, it has no straight line. Um, I don't know if this answers your question, but, uh before we spoke about artists how you identify a certain artist within a style but if you look at the really good artists each 10 years they change their style uh, you can observe that really clearly in picasso i mean we might know some works of picasso more they're more iconic and we know them from a specific style. but he had the pink pink period has the blue period he had this completely off style time time where he just painted uh, with a lot of greens and a lot of geometric shape what i see i see that as as a very positive thing to not to repeat all your life whatever you were painting or keeping the same style and i think it's natural to grow older and to develop yourself more and repeat maybe less or or do big changes um maybe our changes are too fast or not deepened enough but i think this only time will tell how we will be able to deal with that
1: mm. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, balance to strike, right?
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, balance is a good word to put it. It's a hard, yeah, I think it's a hard balance to strike, yeah. But I find the interdisciplinary nature
1: of uh, your practice and its description uh, really interesting. Um, But what is a Portuguese architect doing in Berlin? And um, tell me about your start in architecture and how Berlin (laughs) wound its way into your life story. Because maybe this helps inform some of your maybe, um, career choices now. So Let's uh, start at the end of high school, just in case okay? you need. So yeah, I,
0: I, I, end of high school was a disaster. Uh, my parents wanted me to go and study engineering, but I needed physics. And I was r- just really bad at math. Um, and so I tried to pursue uh, a, f- a first attempt of reaching out into yeah civil engineering, which was really wrong and then it was clear for me i wanted to study architecture and i had also big impact, uh, from, um, a big impact from a big teacher of mine had a big impact on my on my thinking process back then as in a high school and then so i just end up i land in quimbra in this arc in this art school and i think that's where it started and um this having teachers that were sculptors and painters and ceramists and designers brought us just into a big variety of materials and, and ideas and things that we, we could do. Our colleagues were not just architects. Uh, many of them were studying painting, sculpture, design. You had access to all of the uh, studios. You could go in the lunch break and go pick up clay to model or learn a new technique. And I think that had a big impact on experimenting always new materials in different things and drinking from different medias all the time and trying to then combine that into one piece Um, parallel to that uh, i i started doing theater um in a very classic greek theater at literature uni just by accident in what uh, capacity as as like an actor yeah i started as an actor but it was clear my role was backstage doing set (laughs) and then i still kept acting for three years but that is actually the first steps in the in the set design field and three years after i stopped acting i got this invitation from people from my school who were doing theater on a higher professional level and i could build because my brother-in-law owned a carpentry and i worked with him on summers for you know if i wanted a bicycle or nike sneakers i needed to work extra for that yeah and that's how i learned how to do woodwork um and that just accompanied accompanied me uh very 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 fast all the time so I could build things faster than most people so I started designing and building the sets myself and then in 2008 comes the first big intro- introduction to that and I called Bruno I was the wood expert he was the steel expert because he had a similar background but with was, with iron and, and welding and all of okay. that because of, because of his neighbors and because of his father so where that, is Bruno from? Bruno is also Portuguese okay and we only met in university in Coimbra exactly yeah. but uh, we met on a train travel and he was trying to organize a, an art magazine and he s- spoke about that and I met a lot of his friends and at some point we lived together in the same artistic house and we uh, do this we had time so we we organized exhibitions and we did um, human figure we organized this, the 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 sessions ourselves, we pay the models ourselves, so we did a lot of artistic events there and our crew was actors, graphic designers, illustrators, uh, painters, sculptors, so it was really everybody brought something different from each side and that the combination of that just became very fruitful at the time. And. Then I do Erasmus because I need to finish actually uh, a part of my degree was um, I needed to do urban planning and I ended up in Aachen in south of, or not really south of Germany to the border of, of Belgium and the Netherlands. Hmm. Um, and then that's that's where I met my ex-girlfriend and that brought me to Berlin and then I ended up getting to know Ram Labor and then finally for me it made sense because there, I, I had the struggle during my studies. of. All of this other stuff I did outside of the school and then in the school I was this very classical box designing architect Mm. I was not a bad student I was not a very good student either Um, I I think a lot of the problems I had I struggled with trying to be out of the box not being able to and also took me a while to reconcile my building capacities with the design capacities that I was being taught at this took me a while to to bind together and I think it's a struggle I had really strongly back when I was studying in architecture and um, also my school was very theoretical so I had no workshop had nothing where we could experiment like other a lot of European schools have now which Mm. is amazing Um, and I think that brought me then into somehow altogether I come with this baggage into Berlin I get to know Ram I do an internship and where Um, were they at this point so Ramabur was already at least 10 years of existence. Okay. Right. So right now l- they're 23 maybe. Golly, you know, it's or crazy.
1: 35. Side note. I mean, they come across as such a young uh, collective of people. I'm just talking about the, the energy that the company gives yes. off or the collective yeah. gives off. Yeah, That's incredible. Wow. Okay, so they yeah. were about 10 years in and, and yeah. they combine a lot of different fields together that I can see that you were really connected to, right? And yeah. you, you obviously already valued at this point um, what a, a temporary structure or a, um, a staging yes. of a particular performance yeah. could produce in people.
0: Clearly. Yeah, it was very thrilling to to come and work with such a multidisciplinary team. And I remember my first day, I come to the office. So Ramlebor is not the typical office space. It's a bit, let's say, more chaotic or more ro- romantic in the way we work. And I remember there was Bert just doing drilling a hole on the floor because we were fixing our own office and building the furniture of the of the office. And that's I was like, wow, this is how I think I should do architecture. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you have to look at them as they start in 1999, and uh, they are all students during the time that the Berlin Wall falls falls down, and their Berlin is still a very different Berlin, but there's a lot of holes in the city still from the second world war that haven't been rebuilt so people appropriate themselves these spaces and i think that's the birth of round labor in my opinion it's this experimenting in the city and claiming the city back to your to themselves and i think that was a very attractive uh uh, office or or studio or uh, environment uh, environment thank you to work with because they were
1: really different people do you think As far as you were aware, were there any other companies doing this kind of thing?
0: No. For me, it was a a completely new discovery. I was very surprised about that. And then through Ramlapur, I discovered that all the network around Europe, and I could see also the network develop more and increase. So France was already a very proficuous country on this kind of collective. Since 2006, already the old collective no longer exists called Exist. Uh, in 2006 represented France in the architecture biennial in in Venice Wow! so it was already that early stage Mm. and we were designing furniture and building the furniture ourselves or teaching people how to design very easy furniture and I thought that was really new concept and I come to come to find out no no Enzo Mari did that in the 70s Mm. (laughs) you're not doing anything new so we were drinking a lot of what was done in the seventies as an experiment? I was about to say, what were you drinking? But no, okay. yeah, in the, yeah, 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 yeah. What okay, were you intellectually uh, consuming? Yeah, consuming. Um, I think I'm just <laughs> translating Portuguese expression. No, it's today. brilliant. I like um, it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the Archigram and all of
1: all of these. Did it feel like those connections were direct, or was it more of a sort of you know those had been uh, sources of of passive inspiration, you, and then they were crystallizing in this new Kind of uh, revitalized you know
0: i i think I, i'm, I, I I'm gonna quote ramlabor somehow now uh, at some point in one of their books they have um we're childs of the 70s also because the nine part of ramlabor were born around the 70s mm. but also because of the inspiration they got is is archie graham and and, and trying to quote um We don't want to do the utopic moving cities like they want to do. We want to scale it down into a scale we can maneuver and collaborate with the people on site and empower the people and then transform the city piece by piece and not by redesigning like zero, putting everything down and starting again. We understood that doesn't work. So, And I think that's the Ramlabor's uh, direction. Um, And I think there are a lot of a manifesto Uh, collective that uh, is doing statements and not being of course not being able to solve everything i think another beautiful quote is if you can't solve it you bypass it Mm. so
1: very resourceful attitude to things it's um there are lots of books nowadays you can read about you know uh, urban rebel or uh, reclaiming your city this whole idea of um you know the city being something that you it's something plastic that you can um interact with change to make you know work for you essentially as opposed to just being subjects of a city um that's pretty common commonplace I think in urban theory now right but not necessarily around the time they were
0: they were starting no that. exactly I think Berlin is, is c- gives birth to Rob and in and this this idea that there was a lot to rebuild, a lot to claim from the city and uh, Berlin, despite being Germany's capital was always a very poor city so they there's this saying, in, in German, um aber sexy a, so poor but sexy city. <laughs> so it's a it's a very famous quote about Berlin. And I think that yeah. explains also the why why that was possible to be built. And if you look a lot a lot of collectives at, at the moment there are working in this field are Berlin based. Or even the people that came from Paris back to or people that were German that went to Paris to be part of the exist collective and then came back here. So I think a lot of that uh, Berlin was the city for that. Like, I mean, if we compare it maybe to London or Lisbon, Lisbon is a middle-aged city, London is this high-end uh, uh, business city, so um, maybe there's less space for that. But Berlin was the perfect sort of I, setting I, I, for it all. I think so. And you
1: fell in love with um, someone from Berlin, but also the city so itself? The city itself, I think. The, the city I, itself, and, and you never looked back? As a trained architect in Berlin, you have a lot of the... Um, through your experience
0: here, you have a lot of skills that could be taken home. In 2013, we started doing some projects there. So through the Architecture Triennial uh, and with Construct Lab, was a collective also based here in Berlin, actually gave space for new collectives to appear in Portugal. So there's Warehouse Project and Frame Collective also appeared. Um, there was another one like Architects that already is gone. I mean, they, they did really good work and then came back um, and what happened to me and Bruno was that we we kept going back to do projects and we are considering to have a, at least a production office in Lisbon at the moment there might be the opportunity to do that it's still very unclear at the moment but there is a wish to also go back and share with the other collectives what's happening and, and support each other and every time we can we actually do work together so uh, we have worked already with these other collectives back in Portugal uh, last October, for example, even if sometimes it's just having them on our own project working or us on their own project. We help each other prototype objects sometimes. So there is a good a good um, coming together and venture together on, on sharing these ideals. I think we're all in the same boat. So we don't see each other as competition. There always is a little bit, of course. but. Mm. We try to actually take advantage of each other's skills and combine ourselves together to be stronger. And I think that's a very beautiful thing that often you don't see among other offices. Also with RamMlabor, we keep trying to collaborate with them and on and off and Construct Lab. There's a lot of sharing of people that work for a lot of these collectives and also collective to collective collaborating with each other. I think that's just very good to see. Yeah, I'm curious
1: about how you define relationships or define the community relations. And and sustain a community in those very loosely bound um, enterprises, collectives, whatever. Because if you have six people that are all you know not like-minded but equally as ambitious and equally invested, then it makes total sense. You're like a sort of hit squad, right? Yeah. Bound together by a mission. But once people's you know levels of commitment start to waver, new opportunities come up, just changes in overall kind of day-to-day ambition. I'm wondering how you can keep a collective like that together. Um, and with that in mind what was your relationship to Ram labor um you joined as as I an mean, intern and so they still kind of operate under that you know quite quite traditional yes. structure but then you know who are they do they are they architects entirely
0: or yes. do they have lead lead people creative direction from some people i, I think different collectors will work differently Ram labor has its own um, Ram labor has nine partners and it grown also in, in partner amount over the years. Um, and in a way you can look at Rumbleware in a classic way. They have interns, they have partners, they ha- there's a pyramid clearly. Um, there is also then a cloud of designers and architects and artists that work with them that gain different values or, or different decision power according to each project. Sometimes you're just hired to do a, a, the buildup of a design Sometimes you're hired to do the design and the build-up at the same time. Um, and that creates a different, each project has its own constellation. So that's one way of seeing it, or one way that Bramlabor works with it. Within um, Collective etc., it's a French collective that, for example, they are, if I'm not mistaken, six people. And it's really clear that the six will work pretty much in every project and will get equal pay. So the money is then put into a pot that it gets divided, even if, the six are not with the same amount of time in this one project, and if they're maybe coordinating three projects at the same time, they have to split. But then the the share uh, is the revenues are split. That's equally. pretty hardcore. Yeah, sort of collectivization. Exactly. Yeah, so. it's it's they really take it in a in a much hardcore way than Rommelport does, for example. Mm. Yeah. And also payments get adapted to the amount of budget that you have. For example, if a certain project has a certain amount of budget to do. Uh, a certain amount of things um, and it's different from the other project you'll get either more pay or less pay and that's you can you just deal with that because you know in this artistic more artistic fields the pay the payment is always below right. what architects <clears throat> initially charge do
1: you think there's a, uh, a utility to having non-design oriented people or you know non-creatives you could say uh,
0: sort of structure the business so that there is still an underlying model i think there is and i think that's that's the maybe the question i've been having on, on my table in the last uh couple of months that is i i'm i should be focusing on design and i'm doing uh budgeting and one thing is doing a budget from a, a building cost this is part of my job another thing is doing budgeting for how the office should run how much i spend in uh, in paper and in printer yeah uh and i think that probably somebody who knows how to do those things will have a better insight on how or marketing for example this is something um market, i i don't think the the big offices from the past needed to have marketing strategies and i think we do mm. um and i do believe that there is space for people from other fields from economics or even from research i mean if someone who's not coming from the creative field knows how to um deal with material research and how to combine materials to create a new material then I think if you have the money for that you should combine those into your architecture office and I think there are offices who do that who have the capacity to have that or have their own workshops in their basements let's say to prototype new pieces Uh, um, I'm thinking about also CRS architects here who have that I'm thinking about um, studio uh, I always mistake the name Heather Rick Heatherwick, yeah, Heatherwick. based in London, in, yeah, based in London. They have great uh, uh, workshops to experiment a lot of things, and I think also they have the clients that can pay for that. Right, but so I believe, yeah, an office can be very plural in that sense as well. But a smaller office that's starting, like you're starting yours. Mm. Uh, they're gonna, we're going to struggle more. Yeah, a beginning. ton, a ton. And I sort of wonder whether it, instead of expecting.
1: You know, as I say, if you have six people that are all part of the same mission and, you know, equally invested, it's one thing. Maybe Realm labor were that originally. I don't know. But um, I think in this day and age, there's too much temptation for six people to necessarily agree on and sacrifice on behalf of one mission. There will be one or two or three that get job offers and, uh, you know, I want to go to Spain on on my holidays and stuff. So um, getting a hardcore group like that together is, I think, tricky. But... um, I'm really interested in the idea of getting people whose job is to build the community. And I wonder what that looks like because instead of architects you know being held accountable for whether the com- the community evolves or not because it's a full-time job, right? It is and it requires some form of strategy to sort of to keep people together and rally the troops essentially because um, one of my experiences is that you know you can take strong components that don't necessarily function st- uh, strongly as a whole. and um, so bringing in um someone whose background is not necessarily in architecture not necessarily in fabrication or design or any of the, the traditional creative fields but who deals in um community building
0: things like that i, I think that's you know got a lot of potential in it. i i i agree with you and i think uh it's it's there is a space for that and i think in some situations it's even better to have that there i have colleagues who are not architects they're not coming from the creative field but they do have high interest on it but they have this amazing social capacities of putting people together and put an idea on top of the table and they manage to bring in the people they need to get it done and i think this is an amazing skill that in such offices with these kind of constellations like we are working with might just be a completely a plus to have and if I look at Ramlapur, there's um, within the nine partners, there's two I can take out as examples. So one of the partners is very good at organizing things. She, she's not one of the most creative uh, designers. So she ends up being one of the organizers that creates a base ground for the other eight. That's where her comfort zone or yeah, her exactly. kind of brilliance comes really through. She's really yeah? good at it. And then she provides for the other nine partners who so have that freedom to be designing. And one of the other partners that I really love that he's this incredible mind of genius, utopic ideas, but he's not the one sitting down and designing and sketching to make them work. He just comes up with the concepts and comes up with how we should do things and what's our goal. But then somebody else needs to design for him. And I think he's equally very important to bring out this, this, he he puts the dream out in the air because he's very good at that. Mm. And then people can grab from that dream and build on. And I think, uh, hopefully this replies to your question that i think it's important to have these kind of different people and they might be architects or not in the case of ramlan board they are trained architects but they're just not focusing in their training and they're just doing the other skills they had naturally mm. bringing or putting them together and so you're now still a collaborator with Ramla board. Yeah. is yes that- although in the last two years i've been kind of gone through off duty. Off duty because of parenthood. Yeah, okay. But I think hopefully in the future, and I'm now talking to Francesco again, maybe it's possible to collaborate again and do some bigger projects again. Would
1: they you know would they spend all their time working as as a unit, as a collective still, or do they, you know, um pursue ventures uh, independently as well that sort of keep them ticking over when there's not
0: um roundable work? so far as i know they mostly work within uh under the ramlabore stamp um i know or i believe that one of the partners does do a bit of set design on the side although at the moment i think he puts everything under the same name but he did brought in his older clients into the office and uh but yeah that's i don't know if this is a great answer but i think i think they mostly do under their own names other collectives, um, for instance, this was a funny discussion that happened. Exist was also um, British, French, and German based 10 years ago. Um, this collective was, was different kind of, yeah, These the elements of the collective were German, French, yeah. and British mostly. And they would do certain kinds of work. I remember there was, it was not Dolce & Gabbana, but it was one of these major brands that asked them for commissioned them something and they said, well, no has under the name exist. We're not doing that because that's part of our philosophy. But individually, we can actually mm. provide you with the design for what you need. So that was an interesting...
1: It's argument. a nice tool to have though, right? Like as a collective, you should... There are definitely benefits um, to being a loosely bound yes. uh, yeah. group, group of professionals. That should, you know... Even though I guess in this in this particular scenario they are sort of sidestepping ethical. Yeah, I think know, yeah I think I think like.
0: exactly I agree with you. Um, I think I think what can be interesting into a collective like this is that there might be one very specific interest that might not might that might not fit what you usually do. Let's say I want to do a film, or I mean you're doing podcasts uh, and interviewing that, and that might actually fit within the the within the. Um, your collective, but it just could not. So that could be just your your parallel work that on somehow on has nothing to do with your collective, but but it can just be your your project. But it can be a house. Or um, I remember when there was a competition for Axel Springer here in Berlin. For it's a major business company, and they wanted a new headquarters. And there was a um, closed competition by invitation. Romlebor was one of the five offices invited. Who won was Ram Kulas, of course, mm-hmm. but uh, I think Ram Lemberg was invited because they needed a studio from Berlin. It's a, it's a building built in Berlin. And I think it was also chosen as a bit of a, these guys are just going to make fun of the thing. And that's what in the end happened a bit. We made some kind of joke about it, played it, I made, made I don't know a 10 story high slide down and all of these kind of playful ideas. And we played with the idea of being, of being more open and less commercial. But I remember that the office was divided when the invitation arrived. There was the instinct of some of the partners to design their formalistic uh, desires, and at the in the hopes of actually winning it, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, sure. Either we do altogether a remarkable project that is actually critique to the company itself or we go into a different direction that is unethical mm-hmm. for us. And then in the end, they did the right thing according to their own ethical desires. Yeah, maintaining the integrity of... The exact, exactly. But,
1: uh, yeah, I can see how as a young company, maybe being a larger number and having a bit of experience at that point helped to make that choice. I can see as a young company, it'd be quite easy to take whatever you get yeah, and be willing to mold some of your output. In um, order to survive? Or- in order to survive, because, yeah. I can see that that's a complaint but i want to get to so why why did you feel the need to start up your own practice and how would you define that practice i mean as a business entity is it it's not a collective
0: per se Uh, no partnership it's a partnership so far and we do uh, use the collectiveness uh, method so when i'm working with my team i shouldn't even say my team when i'm working with with the vesc team uh, Sounds very professional. Although, <laughs> nice. <laughs> although I'm I'm on an official level, I'm their boss, and I'm the one that pays them the money, gets to their accounts through me. Are these full-time employees? Uh, and at or? the moment, part-time okay. uh, employees. Yeah. Due to funding, we're still waiting. And then when the funding comes, we, we are able to... And are they freelance architects? They're freelance architects, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And d- would you uh, compile a, desi- a design team, a project? Uh, yes. You know? I mean, depending on the... Uh, right now, I have two team members that uh, I think they should, or my wish is that they remain and we keep developing work together, uh, but specific projects will need designers with different skills. So if I have a, like last year, I had a big project in, in Lisbon for a conference uh, space um, and I, I could choose, okay, I need this kind of designer to do this and this and this. And I picked up the people according to skills. Um, also, because there was a budget to do that, really clearly. Okay, I need you. I can pay you. It's it's good money, and it's done. But I rather have a more continuous flow of people working with with us because it's going to give more stability and uh, it's going to be easier on the long run. Um, I think the initial question was,
1: I well, sort of it. why? No, that that that's you're, you're answering mm-hmm. it. The question is just a sort of starting point. But no, I was curious why why you went off into your own practice at all and uh, i can see i can see having had a little gander at your linkedin um that yeah. you worked at uh, julius bosner yeah exactly which is a norwegian pronunciation for a, a, a berlin-based <laughs> yeah, yeah. architecture yeah. really yeah. <laughs> um but checking them out i can see that that if i'm gonna be presumptuous was um potentially s- putting some of your experience elsewhere yes up until this point on the shelf and seeing if, or just seeing if you can apply it in a different yeah, outlet, exactly. for a more conventional architectural practice. Yeah. Um, and did you enjoy that? What was that experience of sort of coming? Is this is this where you kind of you know ventured out to what you thought were greener pastures, and then realized that it's it's a swamp as well?
0: Yeah, I think I think that's pretty much <laughs> it. I think you described it really well. I was kind of very disappointed at uh, this other side of architecture world that is very conservative and, and profit based. I mean. That doesn't mean everything was bad or anything, but... Yeah, what was the best part? What was the best part? Um, I mean...
1: At the end of the day, you just go home.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's more it. I think at the end of the day, you kind of leave the job at the office, and you don't take it with you. Um, but I think that doesn't compensate the lack of freedom of design or... I mean, you do get to learn a bit about all the legal requirements that Germany needs, and it's, it's, it's a big struggle, also language-wise for me. But um, I, I think that's maybe the most valuable thing. You could really, you don't take your laptop with you home. So the computer is at the office, and you don't read the emails at nighttime or 10 in the evening because they're not also in your in your phone email feed. So that's the good side. they can really split. But then the restrictions of freedom of design and uh, the kind of investors that we were working with uh, were just making everything quite disappointing even and sustainability was not even on top of the table Mm. that was very shocking for me and i think that's uh how is it co2 output is of building in the world is 43 percent of the total co2 output something like this potentially i actually don't know the number but it's it's that or
1: more Probably, so it's a huge percentage yeah, It's we use percentage. Yeah, I right, think right. It's this
0: kind of our art- classical architecture that is still very uh close-minded that is destroying
1: it's totally mad yeah but i'm still quite curious you know it's one thing to be sort of um ambitious uh, uh to pursue like quite ethically indoctrinated sort of um um work yes. in general or just activity but then i'm, I'm kind of curious what does it take where's the threshold you know between being able to put that on the shelf and say okay i'll, I'll do a year or two of this just to get that name yep. and that network or that whatever it is that experience as a project manager on a big concrete skyscraper mm-hmm. and then try and work I, i'm wondering i'm wondering where the compromises are myself it's not a, actually a question but i wonder mm-hmm. if you have reflections on it sounds like your threshold is very your tolerance is very small it's very small yes that was big issue and, and is that and is that a strength you said it's a big issue so, it's,
0: it's, I think it causes me a lot of pain because my tolerance towards <laughs> the, those, those l- less qualified or mediocre designs or, or the ethical sides that are very questionable sometimes. I, just, I really have no capacity for that and it causes me a lot of pain <laughs> because uh, I, I actually honestly wished that I would have a better capacity because some things you need to learn on those offices will help you throughout your career on the other side mostly legal issues that you learn to deal with and i think if you are able to survive two or three years but i with that then then you're good to go but i also know from other friends that they were just lucky enough to get in the right office that is already attempting that and has already that knowledge so in the end the push they get is much higher i i think it's a I want, I don't want to put it as just a question of luck, but I think my experience maybe was less valuable than other friends of mine are having. So, Mm. so it can be also something good. It it, not necessarily, is always something so, so horrifying or I just, maybe my experience was a bit less trouble making. But so it's, um,
1: your practice, you can obviously choose which direction you pursue. And in the short term, I guess that's kind of a fun unfolding, a day-to-day sort of uh, You know or maybe not day-to-day but a relatively short-term um sort of outlook which is exciting i guess right yes but do you have a long-term and this is not a loaded question i'm just curious do you have a long-term um not strategy necessarily but vision for you know is this practice the embodiment of everything you've done so far and therefore your goal is to grow this you know, for the next 20, 30 years of your career? Or is it a project that you wanna to pursue to a certain level and no further?
0: Um, that's a very good question. I don't think we have a. in... One of our struggles is actually part of the identity we we are aiming for. So uh, we don't have a clear answer or a clear... We might have a clear vision, but not. Uh, we're not sure if it's gonna happen, which means, are we able to bring all of those knowledges we had, we gained in the past, all of that knowledge into this other more uh, commercial side and actually improve that side? Um, And the only certainty we have is that we need to keep persisting and learning and keep working further in order to uh, achieve those goals. So maybe it might be a, another 20, 30 years of work until we, we get somewhere. Um, but we, we don't have a clear end point how this is going to end. It might be that in 20 years, um, we are just doing set design or something, but I I don't, I don't think so though. I think we, we wish too many different things at the same time. Hmm. Um, I'm curious just going back to Ram Labor, how, um, your
1: interests for craft, for performance, um, and then for concept and and design in general as well those were obviously quenched um when you got to Realm labor but when did the kind of the sustainability comes in come into it and for you was that a gradual unfolding is it still
0: unfolding i I think it was a gradual unfolding um we some people would put them as anti-capitalistic or something like this I, i don't not at all Um, but I feel that they were always trying alternatives. How can we build this cheaper? How can we build this better? How can we build this faster? Or what's our statement here? Um, And there was always a clear uh, amount of of trying to show within a project, look how the future can be, or look at the waste we're producing. So we actually built, in, in an exhibition many years ago, we built walls out of... Well, paper stacks, like not a haystack, but a paper stack of compressed paper, of shredded paper to build walls. So this was just an attempt to look at the amount of paper we're destroying and wasting. Look at the amount of raw material we need to be able to transform and change, how we use this. Um, And I think that's what also brought me into the sustainability level um being able to take a a message of some kind and and and, and transmit it yeah and show it in a very clear and also very or staticize instead of showing a pile of of bags of garbage we 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 kind of created something with that garbage and showed okay maybe this on industrial level if it's transformed into a different object or into a material it can be actually beautiful building doesn't need to have the shape of this tin can that is still present um and then I think what, one of the things that takes me into creating my own our own practice is this wish of deepening further these, these these situations. And of course, we cannot do it ourselves alone. We need to do it with the industry. We need to do it with the builders to change uh, methods of building, to change perceptions of living as well with what kind of materials we can use. Um, because I, 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 although I really am very happy and impressed with this manifesto position of Ramlapur, I felt on a personal level, I need to do more than that. Um, I think they're already doing such a great job. Why can I not try to, to also jump into the commercial side, design housing that is sustainable and affordable? Can I not try to fight some of these issues we have in our current societies with the learnings I've done before, which is a very hard task. And I, it's really important that we look at other offices who are doing the same struggles or already found some solutions. And I think Denmark is a good example when it comes to sustainability design. Uh, it's a small country with a small amount of population, but it's a very rich country. And that allows uh, more, more money to experiment. Uh, yeah, to it's very
1: calm. Doors. yes you yeah. know, very homogenous, relatively yeah. speaking. Deals with yeah. very little turbulence. Yeah, exactly. Which I think. guess makes it a good kind of nursery or sort yeah. of, you know, poo.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and also the designs can be individual. While in Germany, if you try to recycle concrete slabs, you have to industrialize it. It's 80 million people. It's, a, it's the fourth biggest economy in the world still, but, but it has a different mindset when it comes to, to deal with this design object. So it industri- it mass produces something or re- recycles something in, in a massive production. And I think that also changes the design and the quality of the design because a lot of it is simplified. And sometimes this beautiful sides of designs get lost in the way, but I don't think it has to be like that. I think it can also be done in a very elegant, beautiful and unique way just need to be more thought through, I think. Mm. Um,
1: another thing I wanted to talk about quickly is you've um, been a teacher or had a sort of a guest lecturer yeah. capacity. Please. And um, tell me about that. Because I didn't know about your sort of past in uh, stage design, design yeah. and before then acting. And I think it's quite interesting that discussing like the role of an architect within sustainability that you actually, you know, um, explored um, performance of your own. Yes. So not just staging performance, but actually being the performer um, yourself and all that, that entails taking, through people, taking people or an audience through like a sequence of things and essentially telling a story. Um, because as a teacher, I think you have this, or just as a professional in the industry, but especially as a teacher, because you're dealing with young unmolded minds, you have the potential to tell a story in a way that um, actually produces a lot of change at least in those individuals. And it seems that with your background and then your, well, your background in general, but also your personal um, sort of interests, teaching and having a kind of a pedagogical um, priority in your career makes a lot of sense Um, from the outside.
0: Yeah, I I think when I I started first doing theater was exactly around the same time. It was my first year of architecture studies and it helped a lot to do presentations with the teachers because i was acting because i was learning techniques um, bend slightly your knees uh, think of what you're doing with your hands project your voice all of this i think after at some point i lost all of that after i stopped doing <laughs> acting but it i think it helps a bit to be able to maybe I trivialize guess. the whole ex- experience Yes, yeah. it, it makes you more relaxed mm-hmm. and i think that's That helps a lot, but I also learned the hard way that if you do a talk, I write it down and I write it over and over again. Okay. like I really sit down and I think, okay, this image, I will be saying this and then it will be improvisation. But I really learned that it's about you have to practice that. Like uh, an actor practices its lines to say them in the right way. i have to do it like that there's other people who do it just very spontaneously and can improvise really well i'm not that kind i need to practice a bit that so i need to know really what i'm saying Um, and then the rest will come along but it helped a lot Uh, it, it did actually help and the experience of teaching how do you relate to that do you i really love it i love I sometimes I I make a joke that it's my daddy issue. My dad, my father, is a person who knows a lot, but taught me very little from what he can do. And I think to protect me, uh, he's also a craftsman. So I think he what was he had no wishes that I would also become a craftsman. He wanted me to study, and I think because of that, I try to give the people I'm I'm working with all the information. I can give them because that might make them, might help them go faster, reach some of their goals. And I think that's a very valuable thing for, for society to transmit information and trying to to make students um, go further faster or, or better. It's not about being fast, but pro- providing them a better better capacity or developing and looking into each student and understanding what might be his weak points and his strong points and trying to work with those. And I think often I had very, sh- crap teachers that we're not looking into which which students are all different and they all have different capacities uh, and i gladly i had a couple of them who are really good teachers you might be an incredible architect um that doesn't mean you're a good teacher and i i think of Rem Koolhaas, which it might be one of my favorite te- uh, uh, architects but i think he's a really bad uh, lecturer <laughs>
1: Really? That's interesting. So who does inspire you now, I think, uh, is my final question. I mean,
0: mean, on on a very strange way, I'm I'm not very fond of all the designs of David I, I, If I look at his architecture, he puts it himself. I'm a very good old modern uh, fashion, old old modern fashion modernist, old fashioned modernist, something like this. And I might not relate so much to what he designs, but the way he thinks and the way he talks about architecture, I think is very honest and very true. He really has very good points on it. Uh, and I, this, I find that I admire him for that, but there will be others like Kiry that really yeah. blends yeah. in, uh, uh, vernacular architecture with modern techniques to Ramkula's crazy spatial designs. Uh, Kummel, uh, is for me a big, big influence as well, or Jonah Friedman. There's uh, tons of them. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned David Chipperfield because he's
1: in a, in large part, the, um, uh inspiration for making a podcast um indirectly for sure okay but um in 20 like 14 15 i saw you know i was watching a ton of youtube videos trying to get to know famous architects well whoever was out there that could talk about the architectural experience and there wasn't a whole lot but what there was was a certain formality of question answer um kind of interviews and you get to know what an architect. You know was thinking what the grand gesture was and so and so sketch or building and that was relatively interesting but it's not really what inspires you or not what i was looking for and then i came across this one really low quality like cell phone youtube video of him chatting to the uh, like the stage manager or someone in the audience just in front of him between takes of a lecture and i can't even remember what he was talking about but i can find it again and, and, and uh um I should probably because I mention it a lot, but it was it was kind of the the anecdotal, very informal expression of what he was talking about, which um really inspired me because it was the way he was talking, not actually what he was necessarily saying. Mm-hmm. And I think if that can inspire me to sort of think about architecture in a certain way, then it doesn't necessarily matter what the output is, right? Yeah, it's just sort of being a role model or a sort of um someone uh, who represents, you know what it can be to be an architect how gentle you can talk about the profession yeah. how uh, personal you can uh, be with you know regard yeah. to your descript descriptiveness yeah. or whatever um so i agree on on that level david chipperfield has had a, a big inspiration on me
0: yeah i i, th- I think he does that really well I, I love listening to his podcasts or talks or or informal interviews because i think he's just very it's he's a very kind-hearted person about when he talks about architecture and what what he does and i think that's what really and he's very grounded um, is he's very on, um, very realistic on what's happening and how he should deal but with it. But maybe he's
1: the first of these like hardcore um well, end of modernist modernists to actually learn from the people he had worked from, so the Fosters and yeah. Rogers of the world, where he could see, okay, that's that's still very much of the kind of star architect, mm-hmm. um show pony sort of uh, um style of, of 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 branding yourself as an architect and that maybe he kind of you know in their wake sees himself in a totally different light which helps actually make him more relevant nowadays yes. um but in some ways he still is very similar
0: right? yeah 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 i think yeah i think it's a it's hard to, way to put him but but uh, uh I, I agree with you it's he's, he's of course he's among the star architects but i feel that his position is more, I don't know if, if modest is the right word, but I feel it might be. He's very modest about his work and about himself. And I think that gives him the ground basis to to talk about architecture and about his work and about what's happening. Also, he's really clear about what's happening in the planet and he's playing with it really well. And he knows his position that his office is so big that he can't take so much risks as other smaller offices can. Like we can. We can take risks and we can fail and we can maybe uh, attempt different solutions that might not work out as well. But I think, in a way, our efforts will make a better future and will make the generation coming after us even better regarding the, the, the dilemmas we're facing now. Uh, material resources, sustainability, circle economies, all of this. Uh, society, how we deal with urban, urban design. Um, what's the magazine that he was guest editor of for
1: a couple of years uh, he was domo domus. Domus. Yeah, domus i read yeah a couple of his papers were around i read around the time of uh welcoming to berlin two years ago and discussing quite explicitly the role of the architect and a very very inspiring stuff you could see his true sort of
0: uh ethical ambition come yes. out through that where i guess some of his projects you know don't explicitly deal maybe, with it maybe, maybe exactly yeah. yeah i think he really is concerned about the subject what's the role of an architect in society or or he's very uh, a strong fighter for he wasn't a very big anti-brexit and mm. um and also about how public design and building design get, happens in england and trying to push things forward and i find it very very admirable that it's not just about i get a commission for a project and i just get it done he really has a social consciousness in, in within uh his his attempts of off or in, within his office and within him, with himself and how he they they project what's their impact even if not all the time you'll see that really clearly like you said um uh, there's something actually we, we never mentioned uh so far because we, we spoke a lot about a circular economy or or, or uh, a lot of different attempts of at bringing new capacities or new materials but we haven't spoken about interspecies architecture yeah and i'm, yeah. I'm no expert on it uh, either it's just a new subject that came in and i find it really interesting and i'm really keen on trying to know more and explore more arch plus is a german architecture magazine which i find to be uh on a theoretical level really good uh-huh. uh, and i think they're going to publish two other um editions about it and they've done an exhibition and it's i think it's it, that might be, an, it's a bit of a sci-fi field yet in architecture. In, uh, interspecies architecture? Yeah, but I think it might be...
1: Do, how, do you, how do you describe well, it? I, have, I, I did think about, about it. I, I actually have it written down in my notes, interspecies architecture, because I know it's one of your sort of uh, interests, right? Um,
0: it, it's my interest, but it's still very... Uh, hardly started touching it. Uh, mm, how can I put this? It's, I, 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 I can't describe it myself really well, but it's about the uh, intercommunication of different species within the architectural realm. So that can be as easy as... I have a green rooftop, I put flowers, insects will feed on the flowers like bees and wasps mm-hmm. or other insects, birds will eat those insects. Yeah. So there's some kind of mini ecosystem. But if you go a bit beyond that, it talks about maybe the wood or the materials your walls are made of are not dead material, that matter, It's they're alive still. So we can talk about fungus, which is the easiest thing for us to perceive. There's a lot of uh, architecture exploring that, growing fungus to Mm, make like myceliums myceliums or or doing like the fake leathers or but then there's this point where your your mycelium might be the roof the skin of a building like some dutch architect already working on but it's still a dead material what if that material is not dead what if it's ever growing or mutating and maybe doing the the managing of the humidity between the inside of the outside of the building or even the heat transfers Why, what if yeah. that material is alive still what if that feeds other funguses and other insects that feed the birds uh, but i think that's what's going to require a lot of a lot of a big urban design changes and a lot of changes within societies to for us to reach such a uh, crazy stuff
1: yeah, it sounds crazy with that description. I think it's really cool as well. And actually, I think you're right. Just implementing it, like in you know courtyards, yeah. implementing that that mindset, whether it's you know bird feeders or um, some yes. kind of uh, understanding of a soak away, a green roof, but a green courtyard, a, um, a retrofitting of common spaces mm-hmm. that don't completely sort of um, infringe on the private space. I feel like as soon as as soon as you talk about like walls that are still alive, I kind of I think that's awesome but I think it would freak a lot of people out.
0: No, I think so too. And I think it's really, that's why I put it as it's science fiction. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think maybe in the future it won't be, but...
1: But I like the term interspecies architecture because it's, I guess it's part of what I consider, um, you know, a holistic approach to to architecture in general uh, under yeah. the guise of sustainability where you're thinking about, um, well, every single input and variable yeah. within an, uh, yes. a network. Okay. And, and so that would be, um, you know, naturally occurring phenomenon like uh, rain and yeah. uh, you know that cloud wind, sunlight filters it. but then extending to all the other inhabitants
0: of that environment yeah. as well yeah um, and, I, and i think also other exa- other really examples that are very easy to understand is when we know that a lot of birth bird death happens through they smash themselves against windows yeah yeah, and they're already um glass there already exists class that that um, reflects a green light or something that only birds can see so they know oh that's something that's a barrier so that's also a very simple example how this idea of interspecies it, it, it thinks about not just the human human side but also about the other species that actually live around uh, among us which many of them are birds or bats but in berlin there's also a fo- foxes you go out at night and you see foxes in the middle of the street it's incredible. Yeah. Although yeah. The, the, the animal for Berlin is a bear, I think it should be a fox.
1: No, I hate to break it to you. London and Copenhagen. Even worse. And I'm sure other cities have tons of foxes. Really? Yeah, they're, they're the kind of urban rascals. Okay. Um, But with that in mind, I mean, I I think rats are fascinating. Okay, yeah. Because they've they've you know speaking of interspecies architecture they inhabit our architectural or our built so environment well. in a more efficient way than we do sometimes maybe right? they
0: could take care of our garbage or partly their biological right
1: right right we see them as pests but they're like they're a bit like us aren't they they've sort of followed us the whole way around the world yeah, and no, they live not too far below our feet either yeah um, which is uh, pretty yeah,
0: it's a very very good uh, note there but how could we.
1: Well, because foxes are lovely, we can can all appreciate a fox. Oh, what a rascal! You know, pulling out the garbage and spreading it all over the road. But um, a rat is a—you know—even people that are animal lovers would like throw a shoe across a room to hit a spider. So there's a kind of like odd hypocrisy to interspecies relationships in general. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing that just crossed my mind, and I think we should we should cap it off soon. I know you've got to go. I have to go. Um, You know. With all these interests you have is berlin still necessarily the place for you to be and i don't mean that necessarily in terms of is it the city you should be and i mean should you necessarily be in a city at all have you considered that you know some of the experimentation you might like to do is better suited to um a rural
0: yeah yes environment? I, th- I think it would be easier for me also it's a question of price right if you have a, a workshop outside of berlin or outside of the city it initially is much cheaper and you have a much bigger amount of space for less amount of money. So that is an idea. And a lot of architects are doing that. They have their offices in the city. Because I think most of your clients are going to be in the city. Either they're, the clients are museums or individuals. Um, they will come to you because you have an office in the city. But I also believe, also for a certain kind of mental health or, or comfort, to have a workshop space outside that you can go and experiment take your team for a week and you're just trying things out there and also because of our relation to building I think a lot of offices will not do this but that's already happening and if Berlin is still the city I want to live in I I think I'm gonna stick here around for a little longer uh, that's for sure although I also love Lisbon I know it moved to Lisbon really fast Uh, Brussels it's uh, really yeah I love Brussels it's a it's a Berlin but in a smaller scale and maybe in certain levels a bit more with more posh uh, also due to its old city characteristics 17th century 18th century mm. um also the villas not just the city squares but it has also a big mixture like Berlin of residential areas high-rise buildings mixed with industrial and parks and it's Berlin has a lot of that but Berlin is just huge yeah and and um and brussels is just very concentrated and i think brussels has this incredible beer and coffee culture all together so
1: yeah you're really into brussels i've never actually considered it as uh well it in that awesome. light yeah, but i don't think i spent enough time there to be honest
0: yeah you, sh- you sh- if you find the time do it and i think it's it's a also a very active city with a lot of collectives and doing a lot of different things and they're also very on the sustainable direction, sustainable markets where you don't have anything packed in plastic. Yeah. You have know, since years. So it's. I think they're very um, proactive and also it's the center of Europe in a way. Well, within Berlin or London. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Um, a sort of a melting pot. It's a melting pot, exactly. That's,
1: yeah. that's the expression. Really cool. Yeah. Um, one thought I did have uh, listening to you speak about all these different collectives, many of which I've ne- never heard of, mm-hmm. but I will check out. Is that there should be some form of uh, common web um, directory, like a link tree or something
0: like this? Yeah, some somewhere that these collectives can start to interconnect. Well, I think on a on a working level, we are already all connected. I'm, for example, I never worked with collective etc. I do know them because they've worked together with Ramla but I've worked with concert club. I worked with an off. I worked. But so they've popped up on your radar, right? yeah or or you get to meet them at some exhibition or you know who knows someone and then you start by accident collaborating with them and i think i've collaborated at least with a third or a fourth a third of the european collectives already golly and i mean on that note do you see a
1: common pattern among these collectives and the people that are part of them obviously the work probably varies in in the work the
0: work varies and then there's the collectives who have a better capacity on running away from just a construction based design or a very wood woody very simple like there's some collectors have better capacity of designing uh-huh. than others and i yeah. think that's the two the separation i see um there's the ones that uh to oversimplify it sort of uh, don't
1: go beyond the diy so that
0: exactly so a lot of collectives keep this uh still doing good work within yeah, it yeah yeah and there are the collectives who really blend a lot more but i think that also has to do with their own constitution the elements that constitute the, the collective and the budgets. I think budget is a big important part. Oh, we usually don't think about it, but uh, it's a bit uh, an important part of it. Um, but
1: I still think uh, there's got to be like a directory somewhere that could be just like you know collective yeah, collectif.eu, yeah. whatever. Could be. Yeah. And then you get a list of all these collectives. Of all the, all the collectives, yeah.
0: I mean, I usually... Uh, uh, sometimes On sometimes. Facebook I have, page. I have, <laughs> yes, I have friends who ask me and then I just send them a list like, okay, I know these guys, these, these, and these. You know. You know, could, a, a great kickoff would be a conference, a collective conference. Oh, yeah.
1: Because that would basically compound or bring together a ton of the different, different. Uh, practices who have a couple of decades' worth of experience. Maybe we should do that in all of Um... I, I maybe in Berlin go for Copenhagen Copenhagen, Copenhagen might be better than Copenhagen you. yeah or Aarhus um, one or the other but yeah I think definitely kind of trying to organize something like that yeah could be sick like uh, like uh, I, because once you organize a conference every participant of that conference um, you know every uh, talker every speaker presents their work and um, benefits from you know getting to know everyone else but yeah. crucially you'd bring in a ton of new people yes um, new audience you yes. know sort of uh, a new um yeah, a new kind of, a new, a new audience, a yeah. new awareness for it. And, um, you know, anything that's organized becomes more professional. So I can imagine sort of uh, companies that weren't invited being like, huh, what, what is this thing?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know? No, I, th- I think that could be a issue. It's a great idea. You should follow this up with your collective in Copenhagen. Yeah, cool. No, it couldn't be too it hard to get to, your to feedback get, to get a couple of people there. I, I think mean, I might need your address book. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a big address book. Some people in Greece to to yeah yeah to, that would be so cool to Portugal. I think I know. Yeah, I don't I don't know everyone everyone, but I know a lot of them, and it's and really easy to reach to the ones. That, well, I don't exactly, know
1: exactly exactly. Okay. Um, we should talk about this. We should talk about this definitely down the line. Uh, let's talk about this. Um, there's much more to talk about, Ed, but this has been sick hopefully not too hard for me to edit. I apologize for the lack yeah. of uh, linearity. Yeah, but um, really interesting to hear about how you got to starting your own practice and where you're at with that. And um, I'm seeing a lot of opportunity down the line to stay in touch and potentially sort of collaborate if you ever need um, the use Be of some young happy. designers uh, always up in the
0: Nordics. Mostly, uh, I think the combination of people that are spread out through Europe is just valuable. I think that's part of the idea of, of, of being part of the EU, of course, EU also has its dark sides, but uh, we're all in the same, I think, boat in the com- when it comes to design and, and the ethical. We want to change the cities, want to make a better place. That's our role as architects, and I think I'll be very happy to collaborate all over.